0: either one of these half-eaten mitts? Of yours. Can I have both? You can have both. Stick to you. Thank you. Well, if you have your Bible, open up to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verse 16 through 24 is what we'll be looking at tonight. Joy, unstoppable, or unstoppable joy, I, whichever you prefer. They can go either way. Pray your patience with me. I'm just dealing with horrible, horrible allergies for the last few days. I can't hardly breathe, I feel miserable, but I am glad to be here. I hope you are too. Let me ask you something, is something or someone stealing your joy? Is someone or something stealing your joy? It's Kind of an interesting thought to think about, but in reality it happens more than we realize. When circumstances, when life gets out of whack, It can often make us feel like we're down in the dumps, and we wonder, where is our joy? Well, our joy hasn't gone anywhere. We've just allowed it uh, to be stolen. We've allowed our sense of, of understanding of what real joy is to be misrepresented. We're looking at the Scripture tonight, verses 16 through 24, and in this Scripture, Jesus speaks about a joy that is unstoppable. Now, He doesn't actually use those words. I've put them in there. In verse 22, He tells His disciples they will have a joy that no one can take from them. And then in verse 24, He tells them that they can have a joy that is full. And the picture is a joy that overflows. The joy that just keeps on flowing out of you is just this wonderful picture of an an always-producing joy in us. How in the world can we have that though when it seems like there are so many issues that cause our joy to be diminished or maybe even feel like it has been extinguished? If Jesus is in you, the Holy Spirit is in you, make sure of this. Your joy hasn't disappeared. It just seems like it has. Troubles in life are rampant. There are wars going on all around us. There's rumors of wars. Uh, It seems like every day there's a different country we hear about that wants to kill us. Uh, Years ago it was, uh, uh, you know, Vietnam, and then it was uh, uh, Russia and China, and, you know, now it's North Korea. We've gotten to that point, North Korea, and, and you know, there always seems to be some sort of political mess. Perhaps you that uh, have lived a few more days than I have can attest to this. It doesn't matter who is the president, nobody is ever happy. Uh, It seems like there's always a problem with our political and government uh, agendas. No one is ever happy with uh, what's going on in the country, and it seems like the economy is always a mess. Here's what I'm saying. There is so much angst in our lives, it is hard to be filled with joy. It's hard to be joyful because we get distracted by all these things. Jesus gives us the reason, though, that we can have a lasting, unstealable, that's not a real word, but uh, it is tonight, joy that cannot be stopped by anything, especially our circumstances. Well, let's read John chapter 16, verses 16 through 24. Let's think about joy. Let's think about joy. A little while, Jesus is speaking to His disciples, by the way, a little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he says? A little while. We do not know what he is saying. Verse 19, Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. Assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Verse 21, a woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish. For joy that a human being has been born into the world. Verse 22, Therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name, ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we just ask that you would speak to us through it, so that, Lord, we could see you more clearly. Lord, that we could love you more dearly. Lord, that we would be deeper and deeper committed to you every day. Lord, change us from the inside out because of your word, because of you, because your presence and your speaking to us. May we really hear you tonight. And it's in your name I pray, Lord. Amen. And so how can we have this unstoppable joy? Well, the first thing we need to realize, what Jesus says to them in this scripture is that our sorrow will turn to joy. That's a strange thing to say. Our sorrow will turn to joy. Often we think in our life it's the other way around. Our joy will turn to sorrow. And at face value, That does sound strange, but one day your life is filled with sorrow and then the next day it does seem sometimes to be filled with joy. But sorrow turns to joy because that which caused the sorrow brings us joy. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Jesus gives us a very earthly illustration in the Scripture about how everyone should be able to understand how sorrow can turn to joy. most of us in here can understand this illustration he uses. He talks about a woman giving birth, a mother going through labor, childbirth, and specifically that labor brings sorrow. Why does labor bring sorrow? Because of the intense pain that the mother goes through. Why does child labor bring us sorrow? Because of the physical anguish that the mother goes through. The most excruciating pain probably imaginable. And us men, we cannot quite grasp or understand this pain, uh, though we try to sympathize with our wives. My wife, after, shortly after having our first child, uh, decided she needed to have her wisdom teeth taken out. And uh, we didn't have a lot of money in those days. We didn't have insurance. And so uh, uh, she went to this place in Austin where they would remove your wisdom teeth and pay you per tooth they removed if you would let them try out their pain relieving drug on you. And then you had to stay with them a couple of days and go through this whole interview process and tell them how your pain was. And she was telling me about the experience and said that on the first day she thinks they gave her, she thinks they gave her a placebo, a fake pill, and then began to ask her how the pain was. And she said the pain really was pretty bad. But when they asked her on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being unbearable, how is the pain, her response was, I've had a child. It's not really that bad. (laughs) Carol Burnett, famous comedian, said if men would like to know what the pain is like going through childbirth, they should grab their lower lip, yank it out as far as they can, and then pull it over their head to the back of their head. And then they might have a small idea of what the physical sorrow and anguish they go through, uh, a woman goes through in labor. Labor is an excruciating pain, agony, and exhaustion. It is physically draining. But there's also an emotional draining. There's also a spiritual draining, and it goes in with physical or, or with a childbirth. But that sorrow will turn to joy, because that which brought the sorrow, namely the pain changes to joy at the birth of that newborn baby. And that's why Jesus uses this illustration, because most people can relate to this sorrow that turns to joy. But Jesus is not talking about childbirth. He's talking about Himself. He's talking about His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And that's why He says in verse 16, a little while and you will not see Me, and again a little while and then you will see Me kind of a strange statement, perhaps at our first reading, we'll say, what is he talking about? And then we can understand why the disciples were sitting there saying, what is he talking about? His death was a sorrowful moment for humanity, and we can understand what he's talking about because we live on this side of the crucifixion, we live on this side of the resurrection, we live on this side of his ascension into heaven. They were seeing or hearing it before they ever saw it or heard of it. And this is why he says, in a little while, and you will not see me, and again, in a little while, and you will see me. Because while his death was a sorrowful moment for all of humanity, and let's make no doubt, even in 2018, we can understand and sympathize with the sorrowful moment that this is. God came to earth in flesh. He submitted himself to human authority. And the Bible says, in their evil, they killed him. They murdered him. God in the flesh. Now we know that God foreordained this. We know that God planned this. We know that it was all part of God's planning. But nevertheless, it was their evil that caused or that carried this horrible act out. And it is a sorrowful moment for humanity. God the Son literally died. But that which caused sorrow, that is his death, would soon turn to joy. Because His death and then His resurrection brings new life. Even today, the same still holds true today, doesn't it? That which brings sorrow can bring us joy. Trials and tribulations can bring us joy, if for no other reason that we remember what God says about our trials in James 1. That through our trials and our tribulations, He develops us. He matures us. He grows our faith and grows us to a point of completeness, causing spiritual growth in us. And so even in the midst of all of our sorrows and trials and tribulations, we can look at them and say, God is growing me. And as we looked at in 1 Peter a few weeks ago, not only that, but He is testing and trying our faith and purifying it so that we can look at it and say, that is an authentic faith. We also can have a joy that is unstoppable when that joy is based on Jesus. When that joy is based on Jesus. This is why Jesus states, I go to the Father in verse 16. It confirms that His work is done when He says, I'm going to the Father. It confirms that once He dies and He is raised out of that tomb and then He ascends 40 days later, that His work here on earth is done. Jesus will never be crucified again. In most situations in our life, sorrow can turn to joy, but then they can turn back to sorrow, can't they? That newborn baby that we rejoice over could possibly pass away. One of the most heartbreaking things in life is the death of a newborn baby, whether it's a stillborn baby or a baby that dies shortly after being delivered. In fact, I would say that Those tragedies that parents go through are the same as a parent who loses a full-grown baby. This joy of having a newborn can be passing and fleeting because it's based around the circumstance of that child. When our joy is based on our children and our children don't live up to the circumstance of joy, our joy can be let down. And this is true with all circumstantial joy. I have a friend that lives down in Silsby and they are rejoicing right now. Their boys' basketball team just won their second consecutive state championship last night. And boy, they are hooping and hollering. That's three years they've gone in a row and two years that they've won it. They've back-to-back state championships. But as we know, joy that comes from sports will, stu- will soon extinguish. In fact, sports is one of the most fleeting joys that we can have. Anytime our joy is based on relationships, wealth, employment, our personal success, our children's success, our grandchildren's success, so on and so on and so on, that joy can soon turn to sorrow. Because those circumstances can change. They fade, they diminish. And that is when we realize that we did not have true, lasting joy. Billy Graham is noted with or credited with this quote: "Happiness is based on circumstances; joy is based on God." I'm not sure if you've ever thought about this, but Jesus remains as fully God and fully man for all of eternity. You see, that's something we understand at His birth—that it was God had come in flesh and be born and been born in that manger. And we understand that when He was crucified, He was born fully God and fully man. But did you ever think about the fact that when He was raised from that tomb, He was raised as fully God and fully man? That when He spent that 40 days on earth hanging out with His disciples and teaching all those who would listen, for 40 days after His resurrection, He did so as fully God and fully man. And when He ascended into heaven, He did so as fully God and fully man. And He sits at the right hand of God interceding for you and I day and night as fully God and fully man. What's my point in in saying this? Well, besides the obvious, that our Savior is alive, here's this. His resurrected physical life means that we have life too. You see, if Jesus had only been risen from the grave in a spirit form, If He had only been risen from the grave as God and God alone, then there would be no victory over death. Which means that our sin and that our death would still have power over us into the grave. His being resurrected and continuing to live as fully God and fully man gives us our eventual victory over death and the grave and sin. Here's another thing that, why this is important. Is his physical departure assures his physical return. If Jesus had just disappeared, if he had just spiritually ascended into heaven, then there might be some level of doubt. But in a very visible way, the disciples will see him literally ascended physically into heaven, and therefore we will see him literally physical physically come back for the second time. And the first thing they hear after this ascension is the promise that he will return, how? In the same way that he departed. And then think about this. If Jesus doesn't physically rise again, if he's not fully God and fully man in the resurrection, then we can go dig him up in the grave. And he's no longer the God that he promised to be. He's no longer the Savior that he says he was. And all of this is just a lie. When our joy is based on Jesus, who is fully God and fully human and does everything that he says he was, then that joy will not turn to sorrow ever, ever. That's why we can believe what Jesus says in these scriptures when he says that this is a joy that nobody can steal and that this is a joy that will overflow in us. I believe that in verse 23, Jesus refers not only to his resurrection, but the sending of the Holy Spirit when he says, and in that day you will ask me, nothing why would we not ask him anything well it's because what he taught us about the holy spirit is that when he comes in place of jesus jesus is in heaven the holy spirit comes to reside in us and you'll recall as we talked about the holy spirit two weeks ago that part of his ministry is to guide us into all truth to tell us of things to come back in john chapter 14 the holy spirit will teach us all things, remind us of everything that Jesus said to us. Why wouldn't they ask Jesus anything? Because the Holy Spirit is there to direct them and to answer their questions. Their joy will remain because in the absence of Jesus, they will have the Holy Spirit residing in them. You have that same Holy Spirit residing in you. You see, the reason our joy is unstoppable, the reason that no one can steal our joy It's because of our willpower. No, it's not because of our willpower. It's because we live in the power of the Holy Spirit who resides in us. And this joy from His presence will never turn to sorrow because the Holy Spirit will always be with us. Why? Because we cannot lose our salvation based on our works. Because our salvation is forever because it's based on a word, the Word of God. Because our salvation can never be taken away. Here's the truth. Our calling is not to manufacture joy. It is not to produce joy. It is not to even feel joy. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit residing in us. And as long as the Holy Spirit is in us, He is producing the fruit of joy in us. What is our calling then? Our calling is to display the joy of the Lord and do the work of cultivating the soil of our hearts to produce that spiritual fruit of joy. And we do this by making our hearts and our lives submissive to the will of God and the Holy Spirit. We do this by spending time in His Word. We do this by submitting to Him in prayer. That is our calling. And when our joy is based upon Jesus Christ, who sends us the Holy Spirit to reside forever and ever with us, that joy cannot be taken, and it will not stop overflowing. Oh, we might hinder it. We might choose to let our circumstances hide the joy that is really deep within us, but that's not a choice we have to make. That's not a choice we have to live with. We can choose instead to show the joy we have, and to manif- or not to manifest it, but to, to show the joy that the Holy Spirit is producing within us. Finally, our joy is unstoppable because we pray for God's glory. We pray for God's glory. You see, when you pray for your own glory, your joy is going to be diminished. When you pray for your own selfish desires, your joy is going to be diminished. But what Jesus says is if we will pray and seek God's glory, our joy will flow. Now, this is a hard pill to swallow, but especially if you're thinking of prayers that have not been answered through the years. We see a verse like verses 23 through 24 that says, ask whatever you will and the Father will give it to you. And we think, well, gosh, I've had so much time and earnest, fervent prayer praying for lost, uh, lost ones and they've never come to salvation. I've prayed for loved ones that were sick and they were never healed. But understand that the emphasis of the scripture is not whatever you ask there in verse 23. The emphasis is that when we pray, that what we pray be for the glory of God in us and that in that we find this unstoppable joy because when our chief end is to glorify God the Father then our joy will be made complete I know that at first reading verses 23 through 24 seemed to imply that our joy is made full through answered prayer but we must put this into context Jesus is getting ready to leave his disciples He is giving them some training for what to do when He is gone and the Holy Spirit comes to reside in them. And what they will be needing is power, spiritual power, boldness, spiritual boldness, wisdom, and spiritual ability to preach and teach God's Word. They weren't going to need health. They weren't going to need wealth. That was left to the hands of God. That's why some of the disciples were put to death right away, And some of the disciples went to go live on an island to write Revelation, right? And so with that mindset that they would be in need of spiritual power, spiritual boldness, spiritual wisdom, and spiritual ability, and that's what they would be asking for. Now let's read through verses 23 through 24 again with that in mind of what they would need. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give you. So now you have asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And so, if we put this into the context of what they would be going through, I would encourage you to go back and read through the book of Acts. And understand that the book of Acts con- contains just a snippet, just a, a small scene of the life of the apostles as they lived the message of Christ after Christ's ascension into heaven and ask yourself a question. Did they receive what they asked for from God? I would submit to you, yes, absolutely. They raised the dead back to life. They healed the lame. They healed the blind. They preached and 3,000 people came to salvation. And They preached with such power, with such might. God did amazing things through them. Why? Because they prayed and asked for what they needed to glorify the Lord. With this in mind, how does that apply to us? Because we're not living in the time of the apostles, not in the time of the first century church. How does that apply to us in finding this fullness of joy when we pray for God's glory? Well, the first thing I would just simply say is that when we pray, we need to pray in Jesus' name. And I know I look across here and I see some uh, very mature saints And you understand the importance of praying in Jesus' name. Understand that it is an honor and privilege that we pray in the name of Jesus. And when we do so, we recognize that if nothing else, we are being given access to God the Father through our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. What a mighty outstanding thing to think about, that when I pray in the name of Jesus, God the Father hears me. Pray, then, for the purpose of His glory. No matter how God answers your prayers, ask yourself this question. What do you want? Your wants or His glory? Your wants or His glory? Because if you'll answer that and think about what I really want is for God the Father to receive all the glory, then your prayer requests become a lot different, don't they? You're no longer praying for your personal wants. I mean, there's a lot of things that I could pray. Let me just be real honest with you. I miss my family. My parents live up in Dallas. My brothers live up in Dallas. There's a lot of times I think about praying, Lord, could you just move us closer to family? But I don't. Instead, I pray, Lord, your will be done. And I want you to receive all the glory with this life you've given me. It's real easy to pray for what we want. But I think what God wants us to do instead is to pray for His glory. And if we'll do that, then we will have that joy unstoppable. Because then it's not based on our circumstances. Because you know what might happen? God might give me what I want, move me to Dallas, and I'll realize how miserable it is to live so close to family, right? (laughs) Some of y'all are probably secretly playing, Lord, move me away from family. No. (laughs) And so let's see these reasons that Or what fulfill our joy and make it unstoppable because we know that when we pray, God hears us, Jesus hears us, and that He is interceding for us day and night. And so in conclusion, I want us to consider some application of what it means to pray in the name of Jesus and for the glory of God. What it means to pray in the name of Jesus and for the glory of God means that we accept His will no matter what it looks like. Sometimes that's tough. Sometimes that's not what we want. But accepting His will over our own is going to be good for us in the long run. Number two, we rejoice because our identity is in Christ. When we start praying for God's glory and in Jesus' name, and we recognize that our identity is no longer our own, we start praying in a more fuller way. God, I represent you. God, I'm your ambassador. I am an ambassador for Christ, for your message of the gospel. My identity is wrapped wrapped up in you and I rejoice in however you choose to use me. I don't don't want to be known as Brian Givens the pastor or Brian Givens this or that. I want to be known as just simply a servant that was obedient and faithful to Jesus Christ. That's what I want my identity to be. We pray understanding that our priorities are to be in line with God's priorities and not our own earthly priorities. When we're praying in His name and praying for the glory of God, His priorities become our priorities. And that's tough at first, and that's what this whole sanctification thing is about. God molding us and bending us into His will. And finally, we understand that He always answers prayers. God always answers prayers. We may just not get the answer we want. We may not get the what we want, but isn't it better that we get what we need instead of what we want? I think so. And so what we see is that our unstoppable joy is really wrapped up in our submission to Jesus as Savior and Lord. And this is why our joy is full no matter the outcome of our prayers. This is why our joy does not cease just because our prayers are not, uh, not answered how we wanted. And that's because our prayer is whatever you want, make it happen, Lord. Whatever you want for my life, that's what I want. And we submit to this reality not only for His glory, but that we see the good of His joy in our lives, and that comes from submitting to His will every single day. May we be able to say, as Jesus says, that my joy is full, because I'm praying and I'm living for His glory instead of my own. Let's end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank You for uh, Your Scripture reminding us that everything that seems to be sorrowful will eventually turn to joy. And we're so thankful because that can't happen on our own. And not only that, Lord, but we're thankful for the fact that this joy is unstoppable, that no one can steal it, and it will always be full if we are living for you and living in you because you are in us. Thank you for that promise. Lord, I pray your hand to be upon us this evening. It's your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.